Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 126 of Maximize Your Influence. I'm Steve Olson, and I have Kurt Mortensen here with me. We're ready to roll with another episode. I just got back from Los Angeles. Felt like, what you know, what's warm weather? I know what that is again now. That was very nice, and now we're back in the cold. How are you holding up, Kurt? It is cold. I hear it in California. Talk to my parents. It's uh, like 80, 90 degrees. Although I did go, I have to tell you, had a little therapy, went to the boat show, that's always a glimmer of the hope in the middle of a deep, dark winter. Deep, dark winter. And it has <laughs> been deep and dark around here lately. We get those things called inversions where the mountains trap in all the smog. And so I told my wife, I need to go to L.A. to get some better air. And <laughs> I could see downtown L.A. from my hotel at LAX. And that's pretty rare that you can see all the way to downtown L.A. But it was a lot better than the air we have around here. So I can see why going to the boat show would have been therapeutic for you. It was very therapeutic, and I'm off to California next week, so San Francisco. And the challenge of San Francisco, I think we've talked about this before, is it's just they're always cold. Yeah. So still California, but cold, a little bit different. I'm not sure how the air quality is there, but it's got to be better than here. Yeah, well, cold is relative. I was in San Francisco once, and they were going to have freezing temperatures that night. And on the news, they were basically saying that the apocalypse was coming, because <laughs> freezing temperatures is such a rare thing. And I was just... I was laughing. It's all relative, right? It's all it relative. is. I have relatives in Hawaii. When it hits 60, 65, it's end of the world sweaters. Get your ski parkas out. It's done. Yeah. <laughs> so you're going to do that. Then they're from Hawaii, so they got to bury a pig and cook it for you. And yeah, there you go. Got to talk about food. A little clue of pig. Yeah. A little yeah. luau action. That's good eating. It is good eating. It is good eating. So we're here today. We're ready to roll with another episode. As always, everybody, follow us on Twitter at InfluenceMax. Like us on Facebook. You can just type Maximize Your Influence into the search bar on Facebook. We'll pop right up. You can go old school. Go to the website at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. You can see the blog entries. You can see links to University of Persuasion, which you can get less for the cost of a Honda Civic. We've talked about that many times on the show. What that really means is, I don't know, for as low as 7 bucks a month, you can get total, complete persuasion training, daily improvement in your skills as a persuader, it's a pretty good setup. So you can get more information on that at MaximizeYourInfluence.com or UniversityOfPersuasion.com. Yep, go there. You will get 52 weeks of intense training, take things to the next level for less than the cost of a Honda Civic, way less than a couple gallons for the cost of a Honda Civic. You'll be able to master the skills of persuasion, motivation, negotiation, and influence. I don't imagine it costs much to fill up a Honda Civic these days. That's true. With gas prices, it's probably 10 bucks. <laughs> yeah, it could be really cheap. That's a good deal. And if you don't know why we're talking about Honda Civics, you might be listening to the show for the first time. But if you go back and listen to a couple of episodes at MaximizeYourInfluence.com, you'll see what we mean. We're not going to really try to explain that. I don't know that we really can. <laughs> so, <you're just> <laughs> Sometimes ask. we just don't know what we do, so please don't ask. Yeah, we, we, don't, we don't know. So that's <laughs> the extent of our shameless plug. You know, if you listen to the show, we don't do shameless plugs very often, and we were about due, so that's that. Kurt is just so excited to get out another obscure article from an obscure psychological journal and let <laughs> us know what he found today. Kurt, what do you have for us? 
You're not even going to mention the sound? Is this a good thing? See, I sometimes I try to let you off the hook, right. and then All you right. just exactly. tee me up. I think you're losing it, but anyway. you got to hit the sound can... now. All right, go. <laughs> I think you're losing it. We'll let the listeners decide on that one. <laughs> okay. So this one is not so obscure. It's pulled from Leadership Quarterly in the Journal of Applied Psychology, and I know those are on everyone's bookshelf. <laughs> it's not so, as we said in the show, it's all relative. It is all relative. To me, that's not obscure. When it has less than two or three words, that's not obscure. When it's like five or six words, then we know it's more obscure. Okay, okay. And Ronald Riggio, PhD, he goes into that famous question that everyone's asked. We've all heard before. Are leaders born or are they made? Right? Are salesmen born or made? Are persuaders born or made? Are charismatic people born or made? We hear that all the time. At least I hear it all the time. People want to know. And it's interesting that when he goes into the leadership and the research, he says, and this is based on research, best estimation, ballparking it, that leadership is one-third born and two-thirds made. You know, that's kind of interesting. And that's good news for a lot of people because I think a lot of people who feel like they're not very influential or don't have good leadership skills always say, well, they were born a leader. They were born a salesperson. They were born influential. And if you look at a newborn baby, you know that's not true. But there's some inherent things that happen there. And so let's take a look at some of those. So research shows, when you look at some of the inborn qualities, for example, that extroversion can be helpful in leadership. Being bold, assertive, ability to take risk can be advantageous for leaders. Analyzing situations, figuring out how to take a course of action, understanding social situations, a lot of those are, are born, you know, showing empathy. And it was interesting that that's one-third. And so he says the good news is, is that you can really pick up on social intelligence. You can learn to be more empathetic. You can learn to take bigger risks. You can learn to be more influential. And it's interesting that he put one-third as far as being born, which is higher than I've seen in the past because we're always telling people these skills can be learned. And so I think the big picture when you look at being influential, being a leader – Realizing you were born with some great things, born with some great traits that you need to fine-tune, maybe make a little bit better. Whatever you're missing as a leader, as an influential person, you could learn, you could fine-tune, you can enhance. You can if you really want to. Now, some skills and traits and attributes will be harder for you than others, but everything that I've noticed can be learned. It might take you a little more time, but you can learn the traits you want to be a leader, to be a salesperson, to be influential, you can learn. Good. You were born with some great things, but whatever you were missing, you can learn and adapt and become much better. I've kind of heard it said like this, Kurt, and I think when we talk about soft skills like leadership or persuasion, that this may apply. I'm curious to hear what your opinion is on it, but we're all born. We all have a native language. You're born in an English-speaking or a Spanish or a Mandarin-speaking household, whatever it is. And that's going to be the language that you're always the most comfortable in, no matter what. It's how you begin to learn the world through that language. Doesn't mean you can't learn other languages and learn them quite well and be very proficient in them, be very effective in them. But it's never going to be quite the same as your native language, but it, it will certainly be good enough. What do you think about that on certain persuasion skills or leadership skills? Is that a good way to think about this? Yeah, I get the same thing to where some things are just more natural to you. You might be very good with your social filters and reading situations or empathy or reading people, but you know you need to work on your listening skills or you need to learn to be able to 
package your words better. There's a lot of different things. Or your presentation skills. You might be really good at presentation, but terrible at showing empathy. So I think we have seen some of these natural things we picked up maybe from parents. There's nature, there's nurture, there's school. We've picked up some great skills. We've had some natural skills. And that's part of becoming great at influence is knowing, all right, here's my weakness. This is what I need to work on. This is what I need to fine-tune. This is costing me $100,000 a year if you want to quantify it. I need to fix it. And the good news is you can. You can spend the time. The hardest thing I see with most people doing seminars and trainings is for them to peg their weaknesses because what they think they're doing right or wrong is very different than what their prospect is saying. is. And so when you can really peg, okay, this is the area. This is where I need to work. Then things naturally open up where you can work on it, make it better, and then fix that weakness. And it makes a big difference when you turn that into a strength and really being able to influence and lead people. That's so true, though. What we think that we're bad at or what we think that we're good at, mm-hmm. that's, that's usually very different than what the public or what our prospects perceive. It does. It goes back to what we've talked about before, the Wobegon effect. And you can go to an earlier episode and listen to those. But the reality is that we've done this before, intercept after intercept, where trust, for example. When you ask a salesperson about, this is after they've tried to sell somebody, was there trust there? And the salesperson says, oh, yeah. And they do that nine out of ten times. And you ask the prospect, Did you trust the salesperson? And it's only one out of 10. So there's a huge disconnect with what we think we're doing right and what's really happening. That's true. So we've given out various promotions on the show for signing up for University of Persuasion or tweeting about the show where we do a free coaching session with you to go through your pitch and help you analyze it. So who knows? Maybe we'll do something like that again. Maybe. 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 We'll just leave you hanging. Yeah, we're still kind of tired from that. It's going to be a while before we want to do that. <laughs> That's again. a lot of work. Wait a minute. What's going on? <laughs> yeah. We're glad that many of you took advantage of it. So let's move on to the rest of the show today. We're talking about leadership. And this is important because people want to be led. Most people just don't want to be in charge. And this could apply to you whether you run a business whether you're leading prospects and showing them who's in charge. Maybe you have a foundation or a charity or a church that you're working with, and it's really, really on display. I had last week, Kurt, I had to go take some classes. I have a real estate license, and when you have one of those, you get the joyous experience of CE credits. You get your Mm. continuing education. And so I had to go to these classes, which, of course, I left to the last minute as you're not surprised. I think we were talking about that on taxes the other day that I left the last yeah, minute. Too. Yeah. It's not income producing activity, but eventually your ability to produce income goes away if you don't deal with it. <laughs> I think that's why people put it off to last minute, but they do do it. So I was in this class, there's about 40 people in there and the instructor had a group exercise that he wanted us to do, which I rolled my eyes. Everybody, Oh no group exercise. I got to talk to other people. Right. I I came here to play games on my iPhone and check the box, right? So they divided us up into groups, and I was in a group of about seven other people. And this is kind of just how I am. We were talking in that article about are leaders born or made. And it was weird, Kurt. I want to hear what you have to say about this. It was just understood almost from the beginning that I was in charge of the group, right? That's, (laughs) That's kind of how it happened. And I didn't try to do it. It's just how I want things to happen, and people saw that, and they wanted somebody to follow. Now, occasionally, there's another leader in in the group, and then that maybe butt heads a little bit. But do you see that happening? Do leaders kind of naturally rise up, or do they have to really figure it out over time that they're in charge? I think they naturally rise up over time, and they realize they could be in charge, that it's easier to be in charge sometimes. 
to where you can take control of the situation, the group, get things done faster. And then when you do that the first time and the second time and the third time, it becomes natural that you want to be in charge, that you want to lead. And the group senses that. They really do. And you brought up a good point. When there's two or three leaders, all right, is it a big deal to you in this situation, this group exercise? Do you want them to take control? Do you want to take control together? And that's where it gets really interesting when there's multiple leaders, multiple people that want control. That's where strange things start to happen. When it's easy, when there's one leader and a lot of followers, we get two or three leaders. That's when it gets really interesting. Yeah. In that situation, I didn't have to be in charge. It's not an ego thing for me. I think some people really have to. They call that the alpha, right? Mm-hmm. Alpha has to be in charge. And for me, it's if nobody in charge here, then I'll take charge. But I kind of observe it as if, if somebody else really is in charge, I'm not going to step in here unless I feel like they're a bozo. So that's a big difference in some leaders. Some will do what has to be done. Others just like being in charge for the sake of being in charge. I agree. And a lot of that comes back to that confidence that you have, which is a trait of leaders, having that confidence where people sense that and they don't care. And it's easy for them to let other people want to be in charge and to lead. And that's a big thing. They probably sense that your confidence, you wanted to be there, you wanted to do it, you took control. And it was easier for you to do that because if you waited for someone else to do it, the exercise probably wouldn't turned out as well as you wanted to. Right, right. And I bring this up because what we wanted to talk about today is, of course, leadership. But we've broken it up into four categories that every good leader has. And the first one of those is presence. And I kind of felt like that that's something that's just unsaid. People can just tell this person has presence. We know when they come in the room, that person's going to be in charge. So that's what we want to focus on today, Kurt, is whether it's as a leader, as a salesperson, you've got to have presence. People have to know that you're there. It's never worked in the history of sales for people to ignore you or think you're insignificant. You've got to kind of shine. You've got to take control of the room, even if you are an introvert. I mean, you can be an introvert and very analytical and quiet and still be in charge of the room, can't you? Sure. A lot of studies show that introverts are becoming more persuasive. They listen more. They more act as consultants. And so they're kind of a quiet leader. They adapt it to their style. And people really like that because it's not that outgoing, arrogant type person where he repels you and you don't want to follow them. So how do we get presence? I mean, can you develop that? We just read an article about how leaders are, they can be made. I would assume that presence, you're born with it to a degree, but you can develop it. What are some of the components and How can we strengthen that, whether we've already got it or maybe some of the listeners feels like they don't have it or they need to make it better? Well, one thing the research has shown that leaders do have a powerful, confident, dynamic presence. And so we've talked about confidence and confidence. People want to be around someone who's confident and knows what they're doing that is not full of fear because fear breeds doubt. But the challenge is when you look at the workplace, one of the number one complaints against managers, against leaders in the workplace is arrogance. And you're like, okay, wait a minute. We've got confidence and arrogance. And I want to say right now that they're very similar. They're very close. You might think you're confident, but the people around you think you're arrogant. So if you could come across as confident, not arrogant, people want to be around you. They want to follow you. They want you to leave because they want to be around confident people because deep down, We want to be influenced by someone who knows what they're doing that's confident that will help us make the right decision. So how do you do that? I mean, what's the difference between confidence and arrogance? Because I think a common, a commonality between those is both think they know what they're doing. Uh, (laughs) Now one or the other may not actually know what they're doing. So how do you get that to happen as a persuader? 
Well, again, it's a fine line. We have to realize this. First of all, when you are confident, it's about serving the other person, helping the other person. You kind of forget about yourself versus arrogance. It's all about you and what you can do and what you know. And you know everything that's best. You're not willing to listen. You're not willing to talk to other people. You're always interrupting, telling people what they need to do. And and I think everyone's guilty here. Here's the one thing everybody can fix is when you hear that same objection, maybe for the 50th time that day, what most persuaders and leaders tend to do is, I know the answer. So you interrupt, saving time, and you tell them the answer. But you've just crossed that line from confidence to arrogance because you've interrupted them because you don't realize this is probably the first time they voiced that objection. You didn't let them finish. You didn't listen. You've crossed that line. That's one easy way anybody can fix cross the line from confidence to arrogance. Yeah, that's a good point. So arrogance is, it's all about you. Look at me. Look at how awesome I am. Whereas confidence is, it's all about the other person. Exactly. And we're blind to that. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. But if you're getting yeah. a lot of resistance and people aren't calling back, you need to take a look. All right, how am I coming across? Because most people don't see it. They think, oh, confident. No, everyone's also uh, arrogant. And you have to be careful you don't cross that line because you might not even know that you're doing it. Probably two themes that you could keep in mind to do this then. And, and you've got to be careful on this, I think, because this does go contrary to some of the components of being able to persuade. But you've got, obviously, listening to the other person doesn't, but also having it in your mind that you want to help them. That's your primary objective. If you have those in your mind, you probably got a much better shot at coming across as confident as opposed to arrogant. We always talk about how doctors are such a great example of effective persuasion, credibility and closing and listening and finding the pain, literally. They're such a good example. And I think that's why people look at that, look at them that way and, and try to trust them and want to trust them because they know that doctors were taught to give an examination and find the real source of the problem. So they just kind of let them do their thing. And there's that high level of trust. So you've got to be able to, you've got to be able to imitate that to a degree as a persuader. Exactly. And your ability to be the doctor or to take feedback, taking criticism, listening, being able to admit that you're wrong are all things on the confidence side. But if you always have to be right, if you're not listening, you have to prove everybody else wrong you're not asking the questions, you've crossed that line, and it's very difficult to lead and influence people. Okay, so we've talked about confidence as a component of presence. Are there other components to having an effective presence as a leader or a persuader? One we could all work on too, and there's a lot of components here, but I'm just going to put in passion here. Passion more than anything else is going to recruit the hearts and minds of the people that you're talking to is going to increase your presence. I mean, when you have passion, when you really believe in something and you walk in a room, and that's what presence is. When you walk in a room, people notice you have to have that passion, not hype, right? That's the opposite. People know when it's fake and insincere and you're just trying to hype up your product or service or your idea, your charity. I'm talking about true passion. And when you have that true passion, people are drawn to you. It's very contagious and it's a powerful thing for your presence because people know you believe in what you're doing, and they want to be around passionate people. They want to feel that same passion themselves, and that makes a big difference with your presence. Right, right. You've got to be passionate about what you're doing, or at least even if you don't love the product like crazy, you've got to be passionate about helping the other person. Exactly. And here's something to ask yourself, just kind of a gauge. Because when you're a leader or manager or a salesperson, it doesn't matter. A lot of times you're doing the same things over again, maybe the same presentations over and over again. You have to ask yourself this question. When you're talking to somebody for the first time, are you singing the song 
or are you singing the words, right? Meaning, are you just going through the motions or do you really believe what you're doing? Because this is the first time they've heard your conversation or your presentation. Are you just going through the motions because you've done it 50 times before? Or are you singing the song? Or are you just kind of going through the motions, singing the words? That is a big gauge. Are you being passionate or are you just going through the motions? Okay, good call. Anything else on presence? And when you have that passion, there's a certain energy you have. You have to think about when you go into a room or you talk to somebody, do you suck in the life out of them or do they have more energy, right? They're just, there's no energy you can't lead, you can't influence. And the research shows that leaders have high levels of energy. They're actively involved. There's something about health, enthusiasm, energy, that transfer of energy. It's important. So how do you increase energy in the room? How do you increase someone's energy? So you have to have energy. If you expect them to be excited to see your presence, you have to be full of what's called this energy, this passion, this enthusiasm that makes a big difference, whether it be one person over the phone or a whole room. You have to have that energy. You don't want to be the person sucking the life out of that person or the room. So what if you don't have it? <laughs> Stay home. Stay home. <laughs> Stay home till you Stay get it. Stay home. Well, we can go into health and exercise and eating right. Nobody wants to hear that at the beginning of the year, but we all know what we can fix there. I mean, that's number one, right? You've got to be doing those things. Then there's other things you can do. Let's say you're in a room. What do you do to increase energy in the room? You can sense when they're just bored out of their minds or something happened. You need to be able to sense that and shift gears to a video or to a joke or to an exercise. Have the audience stand and raise their hand. Can we mention group exercises? Stop provoking questions, stories, finding a common enemy, a common cause, a common goal. There's a lot of things you can do to do that energy in the room. So there's two parts here. There's your own personal energy, but also maintaining the energy of the room and realizing, okay, you have to treat this kind of like TV. Every 15 minutes, there's a commercial or something happens. So when you're doing a presentation, every 15 minutes, you should probably change to a, a group exercise or to a video or to a joke or to a story where you're changing things up, keep people actively involved, the law of involvement for those who are studying the 12 laws of persuasion, that makes a big difference keeping the energy up in the room because you've been there, I've been there. When you're in a room that the presenter's just sucking the life out of everyone, you want to shoot yourself, you want the fire alarm to go off, we've all been there, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, okay. Okay, well, that's good on presence. We're going to continue on this topic next week and get into some more details about how you can become a better leader, how you can enhance that. Or, or maybe if you are subject to a really terrible leader, you can maybe go educate them. I'm sure that'll go over well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, go tell them, hey, you know what? You're not really good at this. You have a bad presence. <laughs> Please do that. Record it. Send it to us. And we'll talk about it during the show because we like things like that. Oh, yeah. And that's a great segue. You could be the next <laughs> blunder. So why don't you go ahead and cue up the blunder, Kurt? <laughs> All right. Homer, go. Go, go, go. Here we go from Newser, a great website where I like to get various articles and things for the show that sums up articles and what's happening on in the news. And we like to bash on celebrities a lot. I think it might not be fair all the time because they're in the public eye. Everything they do gets scrutinized. But sometimes they do something that you just go, come on. And I think we were talking a few weeks ago about how celebrities and professional athletes, they just don't get a lot of sympathy from us, mm-hmm. right? They say, look, look, yeah, I'm wealthy. It doesn't make it any better. We go, well, yeah, but everybody has problems, but it's nice to be able to pay your bills while you're having the problems too, right? So this is a celebrity, Andy McDowell, who, wasn't she in Mr. Mom? I think she was in Mr. Mom. Yeah, I'm in that one, not sure. Yeah. 
Annie McDowell from Newser says she'll no longer be doing two things, paying for first class on American Airlines and complaining on Twitter. USA Today reports that a kerfuffle began on Friday when the Groundhog Day star tweeted help to at American Air because she'd been downgraded from first class to tourist class after having been assigned to seat 1A, meaning there was no seat in front of her under which to place the dog she was traveling with. <laughs> she also complained that while checking in for a flight in Charlotte, she met the rudest person I've ever had to deal with, though she conceded there was more leg room in tourist. So she got filleted online for this because nobody's going to really care. You want to go tell everybody, oh, I couldn't put little Foofy in front of me in business class on my flight to Paris or whatever. <laughs> Not a good way to get your fans to, to feel like you're one of them, that you understand their struggles. I'm guilty of that, too. I mean, people ask, well, how's your flight? Yeah, I didn't get upgraded to first class this time. They don't feel <laughs> sorry for you. They don't care. They Maybe they don't fly a lot. They don't get upgraded. Maybe they haven't been in first class. <laughs> we know real fast that you got to be careful <laughs> with what you say and what you do. If they didn't get to go on that vacation to the Hawaii or Mexico, you got to be careful sometimes, especially in that situation with these stars where they kind of missing a reality check to where their life is a lot different than your average person. And <laughs> people just will not feel sorry for you. Yeah, it's that self-awareness thing we were talking about earlier in the show. Right. Yeah, so so she got, what was the word you used there? How about kerfuffle? Kerfuffle? Yeah, kerfuffle. Starts with a K. Starts with a K. That's a new word for me. Is that You've never is heard that kerfuffle, huh? No, I'm new on that one. I thought I was good in the English language, but tell me <laughs> kerfuffle? Yeah, kerfuffle. And you know what? That was from the article. I didn't make that stuff up. <laughs> so you're thinking I made up kerfuffle. So do I want to be kerfuffled? Is kerfuffled bad? The way I understand it is you do not want to be involved in a kerfuffle if you can help it. While we've been talking on dictionary.com, kerfuffle is a noun. And it's mostly British. It's akin to a fuss or a commotion. So if you were involved in a kerfuffle, things probably were not going well. So mofongo good, kerfuffle bad, if you've listened to previous podcasts. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Reaching deep down in yeah, Puerto Rico. Yeah, go back to the earlier podcast on that one. The archives are on University of Persuasion. You can get those for free. But Otherwise, yeah, you're not going to know. You're learning some words. Here, maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's our new segment, the word of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a terrible idea, word of the day. All right, I learned something. All right, okay, good deal. <laughs> there we go, everybody. That's going to do it for today. We appreciate you listening to the show. This has been episode 126 of Maximize Your Influence. We'll catch you next week on another episode. Take care, and we'll see you next week. 